Stairs don't get easier. It's <clears throat> it's not age, it's miles. <laughs> if you got your Bibles with you tonight, open up Psalm 88. We're going to take a look at Psalm 88 and 89 tonight as we... Uh, um, Turn to the scripture. When we come to Psalm 88, Psalm 88 has the unique distinction of being the saddest, most lamented, or most lamenting, I don't know what adverb to do with lament, but it is the saddest psalm in the Psalms. And one of the, one of the cool things about it is it, uh, it emphasizes faith because in the midst of this psalm he's still calling on the lord he's still praying he's still seeking god and what's going on in the psalmist's life we don't really know the what's happening what what event it may be built around we don't know maybe it's a prolonged illness maybe uh it's just a big dose of life anybody ever had one of those just a big dose of life, man, and this guy is wrecked. But in the midst of being wrecked, he's still calling on God. He's still reaching out to Him. And so it speaks to that faithfulness that says, even though in the midst of all this stuff, even though everything's sideways, even though it's all bad and I don't understand and I don't know where God is in it all, I'm still calling on His name. Because there's only really, guys, one place to go for answers and I take it from somebody who made the choice to be mad at God for 13 years um, it didn't really help me uh, you know if I knew God was if God was on the path I was on and he turned right I turned left but it didn't take me to a better place one of the unique things that we learn as we study the power of the devil you know the bible talks over and over again about lying signs and wonders right the the idea that that the devil can be behind some some movement of power some wonder uh a miracle but you know when the devil's behind a miracle he only makes the situation worse well if you think about it right remember the exodus children of israel there Moses turns all the water to blood. You guys remember? What did what did the sorcerers do? Same thing. Well, that's what you needed, right? Take what water you have left that's not blood and turn it into blood. How's that help? If there's real power there, what would you do? Turn it back to water. That would state I have power over. But you see, he doesn't. He he just has power to make it worse so if you look at go back through and look at the exodus and the times where the the sorcerers and the the wise men they got around with the power of the devil and they were able to to mimic what god had already done but whatever they did only made it worse they can only make it worse he only makes those situations worse when we reject the truth of god all that happens in our life our life doesn't get better 
It's a, it's a lie the devil whispers in your ear, you know. Oh, you ditch God, man, because you're following God, and look at all this bad stuff's happening. You should ditch him. Yeah, that's dumb, because the Bible says, I know where my help comes from, and that's where this guy knows. He don't, he, he don't maybe have the answers yet to what's going on in his life, but he knows where his help comes from. And his help comes from God, so he wants to stay connected there. So Psalm 88, that's, that's its focus. In fact, he begins in verse 1, he says, O Lord, God of my salvation. So he starts with a statement of faith. He calls on the covenantal name of God, capital L-O-R-D. That means he uses God's personal name, Yahweh, Yehovah, whatever it was. He uses that name. So he's calling out on God and then he, he tells him who he is to him. So not just a name, not just a Santa Claus, not just somebody who makes all his problems go away. You're the God of my salvation. So this is my relationship. And that's where he begins. And then he moves to the concept that, that he is in a place of sleeplessness. Look, he says, I have cried out day and night before you. Day and night. So the idea is I, I can't sleep at night. Whatever's going on in his life has really got him churned up. And he says in verse 2, So let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. I think it's funny sometimes when we are calling on the name of the Lord and we're looking for deliverance from an issue or a problem, sometimes we think God don't hear us when He don't do what we want. I don't know that that's accurate. I don't think God ever doesn't hear us. He hears. And He moves according to His perfect plan and will and sometimes god's perfect plan and will is that you suffer right do we know that because paul would say man he rehearses his life when he rehearses his life five times he was beaten with rods that's 39 lashes at the hands of the of the magistrate whatever town he was in five that's a lot of times shipwrecked, scourged, beaten, one time stoned and left for dead. And I think sometimes we think those are all uh, results of his choice or man's power. But I think in the very beginning, if you look at Acts chapter 9, when Paul is saved, you remember what Jesus said to him? He says, Paul, I'm going to show you all the things you are going to suffer for my name's sake. So Paul's suffering was part of God's purpose and plan. And I think, really, in Paul's life, there's a couple of times where he cries out to God, like, it's enough, Lord, stop. This is, you know, the, he calls it a thorn in his side. And you can argue all you want to over the thorn in his side. Let's just consider that suffering. So I have a thorn in my side. Lord, get rid of this thorn. Get it out of my side. I don't want to have to go through this anymore. And what did God say? Yeah, he said, no. Not taking it away. Not taking it away. My grace is enough. My grace is sufficient. And he tells them why. Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
We read Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest exalting chapters right in the Bible. It talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God, that there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, there's some incredible things in Romans chapter 8. It tells us that, that it's not worthy to be compared, this present suffering, with the glory which shall be revealed when we see Jesus face to face. All that stuff's there. But don't skip out them other ones. For we are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. All day long. That means over and over again. We go through suffering. And I don't want us to lose sight. I don't want to, I don't want to say that, that it's, suffering's all it is. But there are definitely, the Bible doesn't hide the reality that there's times of suffering. Right? I mean, I don't want to say that, that Paul's life was never, he never was happy or joyful. Sure he was. He, he actually learned to be joyful in the midst of his suffering so that when he wasn't suffering, his joy was even more. So we have that time, but the Bible never tries to hide from us the reality that everything you want is not going to happen. Sometimes our kids are going to do dumb stuff. Sorry. Sometimes they're not going to make the choices we wish they make. Sometimes they're going to get sick. And we're going to cry out to heaven, why God? Or somebody we love is going to die. And we're going to cry out. I guess it's my prayer that we remember who God is. The covenant name. I am the becoming one. I'm everything you need. And we remember his place. He is the God of our salvation. The only one who can save. The only one who can redeem all that horror. All that suffering. Apart from God, there's no redemption of it. Apart from God, it doesn't get better. Even if it lasts our entire life long. He's our hope. Look how he begins in verse 3. He talks about this encroaching darkness. And if you've ever been in times of depression or in times of intense suffering, you've had an idea that you're you're sitting in the dark, but you feel like there's something is, there's just this pressure. There's a word in the Bible, it's called philipsis. It's It's like a crushing. It's a word for tribulation. It doesn't really require that the earth shake and that that fire fall from heaven and everything around us is on fire. You can have thalipsis, crushing, just sitting in your bedroom. Just stuff, stress, strain, whatever. This feeling of crushing. Well, he says, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. And over and over again, he's going to use this this phraseology, which may be why some people think that maybe he's dealing with an illness. A long illness that's been with him for a long time. And, and he feels like he could die at any time. But it can also be, uh, you know, the language of metaphor or symbolism that, that I just want to die. Both work, right? He's in that place. My soul full of troubles. My life draws near to the grave. And I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength. So... 
He's using language of dying. He's using language of weakness. I don't have any strength. I'm not able. And the reality is to recognize. One of the things that we can see in this psalm is this guy recognizes the reality that he's without strength. He can't change his circumstance. That's why he's praying. That's why he begins with Jehovah. That's why he begins with Yahweh. God of my salvation. I don't have the strength. I'm weak. I can't do anything for me. Adrift among the dead, like the slain who, who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. He's like, wow, look at this. I'm, I'm floating on a sea of dead. <laughs> I'm just uh, amidst a, a bunch of zombies. Broken, destroyed, destroyed lost, aimless wandering. It's really picturesque of the idea. Drift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, who, who you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. So he's saying there's a separation. He's, he's in a place, he's crushing, he's dying, he's pressure, he's, he's adrift, he doesn't have purpose, place, he's not sure where he's going, and he feels this separation from God. I feel separated from you. When we feel separated from God, what has happened? What's going on? I think sometimes we think, you know, God's mad at me, right? Have you ever been in a place, intense suffering, and you feel like God's, it's, it's his hand of judgment? Maybe it is, but you feel like God's hand of judgment is on you, or, or God's mad at you, or God's disappointed with you? I'm not saying that, that God doesn't judge. The Bible tells us he chastens those whom he loves, right? He chastens his children. But in the midst of it all, the point is he loves me. And whatever's come to my life hasn't come to destroy me. Whatever's entered into my life, whatever form of suffering or hardship that's come, it's not for my destruction. It's, it's so that God can bring out more of him less of me and if i'm separated i feel cut off from god what does the word of god tell me what separates me from the love of god we just talked about in romans 8 right nothing can separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord so nothing is nothing right nothing can separate us if we have that real relationship but that feeling of separation often occurs when i am holding on to something i need to let go of when i I'm the monkey with my hand in the, holding on to the marbles, right? And I won't let go. And all this pressure's coming around me, and the hunter's coming down and bopping me on the head with his big stick. And, but I don't want to let go of this. And I'm like, God, where are you? Lord, where are you? And all the while, God's just saying, let go. One of the, one of the most incredible things I think I ever read, and I wish I could remember who it was. Some of you may know. But uh, as, a, as a missionary, they were on ship. They were, they were going to some deep, dark place to share the gospel. And the captain of the ship didn't want to take them. And as they got closer and closer, the captain of the ship kept trying to talk them out of going. Look, you don't really want to go here. This is bad. This is not going to end well. Finally, the captain said, look, if you get off the ship, you're going to die. And the missionary looked at him and said, we died before we came. And I remember thinking, man, that is, 
exactly right. Sometimes what we're hanging on to is our own life. We're clinging to that and not, not realizing that when I, when I came to the Lord, I told him this mess was all his. It's all yours. In fact, I even used the words, I, make a, I made a mess out of my life. All I have to offer you is just a pile of junk. And he took it. And when I gave it, I gave it all. If he wants to hold it upside down and thump it on the ground, it's his. I give it to him. And when I, when I read that, I thought, what a great idea. That, that, that's exactly how Paul talked, isn't it? Look, I, I'm great. I'm okay to go to heaven. In fact, I'd rather. I hope these guys will, will kill me. I can go to Jesus and this can be over. But for now, it's better for me to be with you. It's more need, needful for me to be with you. But nevertheless, for me to live is Christ. Not me. Not for me to live is to get ahead in the, in the great game of keeping up with the Joneses. And can I have more than they do? Or, or of varying levels of success. Not that those things are necessarily uh, uh, bad it, unless they're taking away from our focus that I'm for him. I'm for him. What, what, what do you got? What do you, what do you got for me? So when we feel separated, that's what I think is what's going on. And in this particular guy's case, he's clinging to his life and, and how his life looks and feels. And those are real feelings. And the Bible never says that he sinned because he had these feelings. And it never condemns him. In fact, rather than condemn him forever and ever and ever, it took this psalm of depression and anxiety and fear and engraved it on the tablets of the word of God. Forever. So that we, 2,000 plus years, can look at it and go, yeah, I think I've felt that way before. And maybe can grasp a hold of the ideas of being able to let that go. And follow what he's doing, because he's going to cling to the Lord. Look, in verse 6, he says, You have laid me in the lowest pit, in the deepest darkness, in the darkness, in the depths, uh, I feel as far away from you as I can be. Your wrath lies heavy on me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. So you, he knows who's in charge, right? Do you get that idea? It's not like, oh, there's this, this this dumb neighbor, or it's this kind of struggle sometimes with the with the with the balance between. I don't I don't really believe there's a balance, so maybe that's why I struggle. Between autonomy and theonomy. Autonomy meaning self-rule, self-law. And theonomy meaning God's rule or God's law. God is in control. All the time or none of the time. There's not, uh, there's not this partial, oops, I, God wasn't looking when that happened or when this occurred or when that went on. God was looking. God has purpose and plan in it. He says, it's your wrath that's heavy on me. The idea of wrath, that word wrath is, is so incredible when we study translations and how they take words from, from Hebrew and, and bring them into English. The word wrath means, it's not, it, literally that word means uh, kindled fire. It's, it's always used in regard toward anger. You know, like anger, like a fire 
somebody, uh, somebody's temper being hot. So he talks about the, the wrath of God. He's saying, it's your judgment that's on me. It's your judgment. It's your affliction that I've been afflicted with. Whatever's happened, it's passed through your hands. It's your waves that have flooded over the top of my head. It's God. He recognizes that place. It doesn't make it all go away. Look at verse 8. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. I'm lonely. You have made me an abomination to them. I'm repugnant. I am shut up and I cannot get out. I'm trapped. My eyes waste away because of affliction. I'm crying so much, I cannot see. I don't know where to go. That's deep sorrow. Deep affliction. That he's crying out. That he's saying, man, this is where I'm at. And then he turns immediately from, I'm crying, I don't know where to go. Immediately from that deepest place, from the bottom of the the pit, from the furthest separation he's ever been from God, the next word is Jehovah. Calls God's name. Lord, I have called daily upon you. So he is standing in continual prayer, even though that's how he feels. He says, I called daily upon him. Every day he's calling on God's name. This is how I feel. God doesn't say, get rid of that. Let's pretend that that doesn't happen. Let's just sunshine only. God says, okay, this is how he feels. The point of the psalm is, he's continually calling on the name of God. As if that's his attitude, if that's his heart, I want you, God, this is how I feel, these are the emotions, this is the reality, but I want you, I'm reaching out to you. If that's how he feels, he is going to endure to the end. And what did Jesus say in Mark at the Olivet Discourse? He who endures to the end shall be saved. He's enduring. We have need of endurance. Sometimes life's hard. Some lives are hard. Lord, I've called upon you daily. I have stretched out my hands to you. It's like one of the pictures I love about, about little kids when they want you, to, want you to pick them up. What do they do? They come running over to you and they reach their arms up to you, right? Pick me up. Pick me up. When they're 18, 16, they stop doing that. The funny thing is when they're 18, 16 or 18, that's when you want them to do it. Because you, you miss all the times when they were three and they did it, but they don't do it no more. And, and you've had enough time between it that you, that you missed those days. When they were three, you're like, oh, can't you just walk? I don't want to carry you no more. That's a human condition, man. I'll tell you, pick them up and carry them because the day will come. My favorite thing with my kids was when they would fall asleep on my chest while I was holding them. That's my favorite thing in the world. That's all over. I can't get them 27-year-olds and 25-year-olds to let me 
hold them on. They get all weird. Dad, what are you doing? Stop kissing me. That's dumb. That's how. That's just how that happens. You get old. You want to do all that again. Enjoy it. The good news is when they start having kids, you get to do it again with grandkids. So that's, that's God's little smile for us old people to go, yeah, here you go. I know you'd like to do this again. And they don't stay up screaming all night because they're at mom and dad's house. So that, that works out pretty good. So he says, all that, I'm stretching out my hands to you. I think... I think God always responds to that. We stretch our, doesn't mean he took it all away, but he always responds. What does the Bible say? Draw near to me and what? I will draw near to you. So if I come to the Lord and I raise my hands, he's come near. That separation's over. That wasn't as far apart as I, I thought it was. Then he goes in verse 10. Will you work wonders for the dead? Yeah, no, God doesn't really do miracles for the dead. He's the God of the living, right? Now what the scripture says? Not the God of the dead. Shall the dead arise and praise you? Have you ever walked through a cemetery and had them all pop up out of the grave and start singing? Yeah, that doesn't happen, does it? It's interesting. I, I just... Uh, Sometimes like to chase down some of the words. When he says, shall the dead arise and praise you. It's the word Rephaim. There was a valley of the Rephaim. Valley of the dead, of the ghosts, of the spirits. Uh, really the closest thing we can get to today to, to, to interpret the concept would be Zombies. Valley of the Dead, right? The, the Day of the Dead, walking around, uh, you know. And, and, and really, it's a perfect picture. You ever seen a zombie movie where the zombies just stop and start praising God? No, why? Because that's dumb. They're, all they do is, you think that's a new concept? We just come up with it? It was uh, the guys who thought up the Walking Dead. They said, oh, wow, that's so, yeah, way back 4,000 years ago, <laughs> they had the concept, the idea. Of just like the dead walking around. There's no praise on their lips. It's just emptiness. No wonder, no praise. He says, shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? The, the agape of God. Do, is it, do we see that in the graveyard? Do we see that among the dead? It's not that after you die it doesn't exist. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying if I stand at the grave and I look at the dead or I see the bodies or I see the dead walking around there's none of this going on in them there's none of these things it's the living it's the living because he's god of the living is your faithfulness in the place of destruction that's the word the hebrew word abaddon should sound familiar if you ever read revelation abaddon remember an angel opens a pit all the locusts come out and the locust has a name you remember Abaddon destruction Apollyon and Abaddon means the same thing destruction has come shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness look 
The picture is, there's none of the beauty and the majesty and the stuff of God among the dead. And then he again, he's, he's called out to God. He's thinking this, none of this happens with the dead. And, and, and I think he's saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to... I don't want to go to the land or be in the place where I don't see your wonders and your righteousness and your loving kindness. I want to, I want to be where I'm able to do all those things. But verse 13, he immediately turns back to, to the Lord again. You see it? But to you I have cried out, O Lord. Covenantal name of God again. But to you, it's you. I'm going to you, God. I'm, I'm reaching out for you. And in the morning, my prayer it comes before you. So it's consistent, Right? Daily I lift up my prayers to you. In the morning I lift up my prayers to you. Lord, I lift up my cry morning and night, continually, every day, consistently, even though my life is unraveled in every possible way and I am in a place of confusion and I'm down and I'm depressed, I know where my help comes from. His eyes turn toward the Lord. In verse 14 he says, Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Again now, he, he speaks of this separation. This separation. Why do you cast off my soul? Something is between us. Why do you hide your face? Or where's your presence? Where are you? Can't see you. It's all this dark and crazy and stuff going on around me. I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. Sounds like a long time, right? Sounds like this has been a long, hard road. This person is, has had to walk. He says, I suffer your terror and I am distraught. Again, he's, he's, he's not saying this is all coming from somewhere else. God is sovereign. He's over. God could say, just like Jesus did in the midst of a storm, peace be still, and it'll and all go away. That's why Paul called out on the name of the Lord. God, take this thorn out of my flesh. Remove this suffering. Get rid of all this hard stuff I got to go through. But sometimes God says no. It's going to be hard from here till you see my face. That's what makes what Paul said so full of promise. Because he said, I do not consider it worthy to compare the suffering I've had in this world with the glory that is revealed in Christ when I see him. Not worthy to to compare. That's how majestic that is. That's the hope. Don't you see that's the hope that drives this guy? I'm suffering. I'm in terror. I'm distraught. Your f- fierce wrath has gone over me. The burning. It's, it, the picture is the fire. It's a, this fire, this judgment from God. It's like a, like a fire on the prairie just moving fast and whew, it's over me. Burning flames are all around me. Your terrors have cut me off. That's that phrase, Hebrew phrase, karat. Separated, cut off from among the people. It speaks ultimately of being in a place of death. 
They came around me all day long like water. He's talking about this flood. So before was a picture of fire coming over me. Now he's moved from, from the, the, the frying pan to the fire to the flood. <laughs> now the, now he's, he's, he's the, the flood put the fire out. Right? All this water, but now he's drowning. You ever have stuff go from bad to worse? Well, you just keep holding on. Because surely the psalm's going to get better, right? Some of you already read to the end, huh, Danielle? <laughs> they came around me all day like water. They engulfed me all together. Loved one and friend you have put far from me. Oh, nobody's with me. And my acquaintances into the darkness. Loneliness again. That's a worship song. Not a bunch of promise at the end, right? Oh, and then I woke up and it was all a dream. And everything's good. No, it's not, it doesn't go like that. That's not real life. Real life is, some, sometimes life's hard, right? You guys all know of people who have had to go through horrific things. And maybe you've even said, dear God, please don't ever make me go through something like that. Or you think, oh, I don't even know how they survive. Oh, that's what the song's about. How did this guy survive? The sons of Korah, how'd they survive? Every day, every morning, all night long, when all he could do was cry, call on the name of the Lord he'd lift his hands to God it's the only hope that he has and so he clings to that and he holds to that and he and he just looks for God's promise and God's move and God's work and he and he's not afraid or ashamed to tell God where he's at I think sometimes we miss that in church you notice he's talking to God though Right? You get what I mean? Okay, sometimes, you ever known those people, you see them coming and you walk over and you're afraid to say, how you doing? You ever known those people? Because it's going to sound like this psalm. Oh, I was on fire ten minutes ago. The good news is, a flood put the fire out, now I'm drowning. <laughs> Where does this guy take all that? Does he take it to a person? Is it another human being that's going to be able to elevate you or give you hope or strength? Is that going to happen? Sometimes we think, I, what I need is just a little bit of, of Jackie's time or Jason's time or somebody else. If, if I could just have that, then they would be able to pull me out of the fire. Oh, I'm burning too, man. I don't know. If we put two fires together, we can have a brighter one. Stand and have a bonfire. Woohoo. Where does he go? To God. Where does he take his issues? To God. Where does the where does his hope come from? From God. It's from that relationship. That's where we gotta cling. That's where we gotta reach. That's where we gotta go. 
And, and I, as much as anybody else, I think I hear somebody's trouble. And I think, oh, I got the solution. I know what we'll do. We'll do this. I don't know the solution. We can try all kind of things. But in, well, since the 90s, I've been in ministry since the 90s, so I don't know how long is that. Somebody help me out. How is it? 30, can't be 30 years. Oh, Lord, have mercy on my soul. So, I have, in all that time, had way more, um, it's not very hopeful. My wife would never tell this story. That's why she left. Um, I lose more than I win. I mean, I think God's getting it. Somebody's, somebody's life's going to be radically transformed, and then I, I watch sometimes it just ends up into a fire. And what I've learned in all that time, I don't have the solution, I don't have the answer, and there's not a plan, and there's not a program that says, oh, if your life is a mess, do this program. If you follow this program, oh, your life will stop being a mess. There's not one of those programs. You know what the program is? God. Cling to Him. It won't make the, the problem go away, but at least you have somewhere to go where somebody hears you, where somebody can pick you up, where someone can bring comfort and speak comfort into your life. And that's what the psalmist is pointing us to. Life is hard. God is good. All the time. It's always true. Amen? Let's pray.